0: We'll keep that passage open and we're going to have a read through Ephesians chapter 1. But I want to begin by asking you a question. Now, don't answer out loud, uh, but have a think in your own head. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Think about what life was like before you knew Jesus. Think about life now. What difference do you see? What difference has knowing Jesus made? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, uh, firstly, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. We're so glad to have people with us who are investigating Jesus. You're in the right place this morning. Now, you won't be able to answer my question yet, but for you, have a think about the kind of difference that you think Jesus could make in your life. Everyone have a think about that for a few more seconds. What difference does Jesus make? Now some of you would have had an easy answer to that question. Some of you know the profound difference that Jesus has made. For others of us, it may have been quite difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is that has changed. Maybe you struggled to think of anything that's changed. You see, all too often we have a really small view of Jesus' work in our lives. We think of him as as having made a small difference in some aspects of our life. Today, as we begin a new sermon series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's aim in this letter is to take our small view of Jesus' work and magnify it. He aims to show us that Jesus changes absolutely everything in our lives. His hope is that we will come to comprehend what God has done for us through Jesus. Because when you comprehend that, your life can never be the same again. And so in the first half of Ephesians, Paul takes our small view of Jesus and he blows it up. He magnifies it. He shows us how Sin is so big a problem that we were as good as dead. He says you were dead in sin. It wasn't just a small problem, it's a huge problem, such a big problem that we can count it as death. You were dead in sin, but then Jesus came and brought you back to life. He resurrected you. Paul tells us how we were living in complete darkness until Jesus came and turned the lights on. He tells us how we were so far away from God that we had no hope of ever finding him. But then God came to us. See, Paul spends the first half of the letter expanding our view of what Jesus has done in our lives so that in the second half of the letter he can show how knowing all of this about Jesus will completely change your life when you come to understand the depth of God's love for you, well, you won't be able to contain yourself. Your life will overflow with love. Your relationships will be changed. They will be like they've never been before. Once you see and and comprehend the magnitude of God's generosity to you, well, things like greed and stealing... They'll be replaced with generosity and kindness to others. When you understand the length that Jesus went to to free you from sin, well, it'll give you a new appreciation for the danger of sin in your life, and it will give you a renewed determination to put sin to death in your life. You won't continue to be sort of ho hum about sin, you'll take it seriously. You see, the gospel changes everything about who we are and how we live. And we we saw that in Acts chapter 19, didn't we? When Paul took the gospel to Ephesus, the people that he's now writing this letter to, well, their lives were changed. They saw the power of God in the gospel and they threw their magic books away. They realized they had been living for the wrong things. The gospel will change your life. And as it does that, well, it will change your family. It will change this church. And as the knowledge of the good news about Jesus spreads, it will transform everyone who comes to comprehend it. It will change this community. It can change cities. And so as we dig into Ephesians over the next nine weeks, it's my hope that through this letter, our view of what Jesus has done for us would be cranked right up. That knowledge of Jesus will then grow our love for Jesus and give and, grow, and drive us to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. That is my hope for this series in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be spending nine weeks, right up until Easter. So I'm going to pray for us and catch that up. Uh, let's pray as we Uh, as we hear God speak to us through these words. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so prone to dismissing your work, to thinking you as something small in our lives, to just attaching you as a thing that affects our Sundays and not much else. Lord, through these words, open our eyes. Show us, reveal to us, help us to comprehend the magnitude of your love to us shown so clearly at the cross. Lord, we pray that we would come to marvel at this plan, to rejoice at your plan, to be ever changed by what you have accomplished through Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would do that in our lives and in our hearts right now. Please change us for your glory. Amen. Well, if you've closed your Bibles, please open them back up. Ephesians chapter 1. I want us all to be following along here because in verse 1, well, Paul introduces himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, a man chosen by God himself sent out to spread the good news about Jesus. In the second half of verse 1, he introduces his audience to God's holy people in Ephesus. They're not just any people, but God's own people, people that belong to God. Well, then in verse 2, he greets them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then for the next 11 verses, Paul stays on this topic of grace. He says, grace to you, and then he just fills the rest of these 11 verses with grace. And he just can't contain himself. He just explodes in praise to an outrageously gracious God. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You see, Paul just can't contain himself here. Uh, If you were to read this in the original language, verses 3 to 14 is just one big sentence where Paul, without stopping, just rattles off all the ways that God has blessed his people. And just take a look at some of the ways that Paul describes God's grace to us in these verses. See, in verse 3, he says, God has given us every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing. He hasn't withheld anything from us. In verse 6, we see that God gives us his grace freely. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He just gives it to us. He's not stingy, is he? Because if you look at verse 7, it says that he lavishes his riches on us. God lavishes his riches on you. Just stop and think about that for a second. The God who has absolutely everything in the universe at his disposal. He owns it all. He created it all. It is his. And out of everything that he has, he gives you his best in abundance. The God who has everything is lavishing his riches on you. I mean, it's a little bit like when I go to lunch uh, at Janice's grandma's place. Now, Janice's grandma is Lebanese, and what that means is that she doesn't know the English word for full. Lunch in the Casson house involves uh, mountains of amazing food loaded onto my plate. Now, I'm a big boy, and so I get the most food. Um, halfway through, I don't need to eat anymore, I've had plenty. But it tastes amazing and so I just kind of keep going. And then I'm finishing the last few mouthfuls, struggling to breathe because my stomach has like, expanded up into my ribcage. But no matter how much I insist that I couldn't possibly eat anything more, as soon as the last bit of food leaves my plate, more food gets piled on. See, this is what God is doing with us when he gives us his he lavishes it on us. He's giving us more than we can imagine. Our cups are overflowing and he's got more for us. But what exactly is God giving us? What are these blessings? If you look back in verse 3, you'll notice that Paul's kind of qualified them. He says, Praise be to the God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing and when 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 we read heavenly realms and spiritual blessing well for some of us that might sound a whole lot like imaginary it sounds like they're not real or at least if they are real that we don't really get to enjoy them now because if we're honest Most of us don't want spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. We want physical blessings in the earthly realm. See, we all love the idea of a God who blesses us with health and wealth and comfort, don't we? Now, I expect that most of you wouldn't come out and say it like that. In your head, you know that what God gives you is better. But do you believe that in your heart? Do you crave what God offers you in Jesus? Or do you crave the things that this world offers you? Now, if I'm honest with you, I recognise that I probably get a whole lot more excited about my bank balance, my toys, having people like me. I probably get more excited by those things than I do about being lavished with every spiritual blessing. And since moving here, I've lost track of how many people I've told about all the amazing things about living in Noosa. I've hardly said a word to anyone about all the amazing things about being in Christ. Now, let's not create a false division here. Let's remember that the God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is the same God who blesses us here right now with physical things. The money in your pockets, the roofs over your heads, the cars you drive, the family and friends around you, this beautiful place that we get to live in, our health, our comfort, all of these things are amazingly generous gifts from an amazingly gracious God. But what I want us to see this morning is that they are nothing compared to spiritual blessings. They are worthless compared to what Paul writes about here. You see, we long for the temporary, the fleeting, for earthly things. And all the while, God's got more for us. He's got better things for us. We're a little bit like toddlers On their birthday, if you've ever been to a toddler birthday party, you will watch a toddler being showered with expensive gifts from grandma and grandpa and aunties and uncles. Everyone wants to give them the best things ever. And you'll see the kid playing with wrapping paper. They don't care about all the good things. They care about worthless things, things that we would throw in the bin. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex oh, sorry, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So yes, let's praise God for the physical blessings we receive from him every day. Praise God for your health. Praise God for your wealth. Praise God for your comfort. But right now, see that he has something better for you. Something that makes those things look like rubbish. Take a look at the spiritual blessings that God has lavished on you. And as we do that, we're going to see all three members of the Trinity are involved here. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, and the Spirit guarantees. But to see the first of God's blessings for us, well, we need to go back before the beginning. The Bible in your hands begins with, in the beginning God created, Uh, but before that, God chose you. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, before you were born, before anyone else was born, before there was even anything for anyone to be born into, God chose you. And in the second half of verse 4, we see that God chose us to be something. Verse 4, for he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, notice Paul doesn't say that God chose us because we were holy and blameless. No, 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 no. God chose us to make us holy and blameless. Blameless. To see us as holy and blameless. And when God chose us, well, we were just the opposite of holy and blameless. We were unholy, defiled, full of sin, guilty. In chapter 2, Paul will say it bluntly, but accurately. We were dead in sin. There was nothing in us that warranted God choosing, but he chose us anyway. He chose us to be holy and, in, and blameless. And in verse 5, he chose us to be his own children. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, predestination might be a scary word to some of you. It might make some of you nervous. Uh, But in the Presbyterian Church, we take God's word here quite literally to mean that before the beginning of time, God predetermined your final destiny. Now, bear in mind that if it was up, up to us, if we were left to our own devices to choose our final destiny, we all would choose hell. We are so captivated by sin that we are unable to choose what is good for us. And so praise God that he chose for us. That is a wonderful truth. Before the universe even existed, God set your final destination. And the final destination we see here in verse 6 is adoption into God's family. Which is completely nuts if you think about it. What is God thinking? God adopting sinful humans is much like you adopting a dead fish. That's how unlike God we are. Just imagine what it would have been like when God decided to choose people like us to be his adopted children. Just imagine there would have been angels pulling God aside. Are you sure about this? You want them, you realise who they are, right? They're not like you, Lord. They're messed up. They'll ignore you. They'll reject you. You don't even want to imagine what they're going to do if you try and rescue them. And God says, they're mine. God chooses to love us as his own dear children. He gives us all the privileges of being in his family. We have full access to him. We can talk to him and know that he listens. And he doesn't just listen, he answers us. He gives us what is good for us. He lavishes us with his riches. He transforms and changes us into his family likeness. He makes us, like his true son, Jesus, holy and blameless. And friends, Paul is just getting started here. This is just the beginning of all the ways that God has blessed us. Because in verses 7 to 12, he goes on to tell us about his perfect son who died to redeem us. Verse 7, in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now the idea of redemption is to regain possession of something at a cost. We often use the word for the guy on the footy field who makes an absolute blunder, he drops the ball, but who then comes back in extra time and scores the match-winning try. He redeemed himself, He's, he's stuffed up, but then he regained his dignity. He maybe even regained his place in the team. He worked hard to right the wrong. That's redemption. Except that's not at all what Paul has in mind here. So the general concept is the same. But Paul cranks it up in intensity. See, Paul's not talking about footy. He's talking about slavery. In Paul's day, a slave could be redeemed by the payment of a ransom. The slave couldn't usually pay their own ransom. They needed someone else to redeem them. Well, when God chose us to be holy and blameless, the reality was that we were all in slavery. We were completely under the ruthless, unbridled power of sin. And what's worse, sin is a master that we willingly subjected ourselves to. We volunteered to be slaves. It's like we walked right into Auschwitz and thought, yeah, I'm going to hang out here. And we walked in and then the guards closed the gates behind us. We were loyal subjects. We obeyed our masters of sin willingly. We loved sin And yet it was the worst kind of slave master, because obeying sin is a death sentence. It was a guarantee of eternal pain and suffering and grief. But then God sent his son to redeem us, to pay the price for our ransom. We couldn't pay it ourselves, and even if we could, we didn't want to. Now the price for our freedom was innocent blood. The death of the perfect Son of God. And Jesus willingly paid it for you. He subjected himself to cruel death so that we, the guilty ones, could live. In Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All your sins, forgiven, not counted against you anymore. The punishment is lifted. The debt is paid. We are free. We were guilty and in slavery to sin, but God chose to redeem us at great cost. And what's more, in verse 10, we learn that in, at the end of time, all those who are redeemed will be united with Jesus and will enjoy life under his rule. That's the climax of God's rescue plan. It's the plan that God made before the creation of the world in verse 4. The plan that he revealed when Jesus came into the world in verse 8. But at the end of time, verse 10, the plan will be complete. When Jesus returns and all those whom God has chosen and whom Jesus has redeemed will be one with Jesus. will be united with him. We'll enjoy a glorious life forever with him as our king. So right now is the moment that it's right to ask you, are your sins forgiven? Have you asked Jesus to redeem you? Because one day Jesus will return, and when he does, verse 10 tells us that all things in heaven and on earth will come under his rule. He will be the supreme judge, the king. Everything in heaven and on earth will be under him. And for you, there are two options. You can come under his rule as a forgiven, adopted child of God. And for you, Jesus' rule will be wonderful news. The righteous king will reign. You will live and enjoy him forever. Option two is that you can come under Jesus' authority as a guilty sinner who needs to stand before this righteous judge. The one who will stand exposed, everything that you've done exposed before the judge and you don't have a leg to stand on. These are your two options. You can choose now to spend eternity being lavished with riches by a loving and gracious God. Or you can continue in sin and spend eternity apart from the God who gives us everything good that we have. Right now, both of those are options for you. Both of those are possibilities. And right now, you have the chance to choose life and joy and blessing. You can change which of those two groups you are in right now. Have a look in verse 13. You'll see that all you need to do to change your final destiny is respond to the good news about Jesus. Because Paul's talking about the Ephesians in verse 13, and he says, You also were included in Christ. What did they do? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Did you see that? What did they have to do to change their eternal destiny? They had to receive the message of truth. They had to receive the gospel. That's all there is to it. You too can be included in Christ if you're not already. You too can enjoy all the blessings that belong to those who are in Christ. And all you need to do is believe in the message of truth. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And when you do that, God will keep blessing you with the Holy Spirit, which guarantees your destiny. Keep reading in verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Do you see? God doesn't just make a plan for you. He doesn't just reveal that plan to you. No, he guarantees the outcome of the plan for you. Believe the gospel today and God will give you his spirit. He will live in you as a down payment, a deposit, the first installment of an inheritance that he is ready to graciously bless you with at the end of time. Well, friends, this morning we've seen that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's lavished his grace upon you. The Father chose to adopt you, to be holy and blameless children. The Son redeemed you and forgave you by dying in your place. The Spirit guarantees the inheritance that awaits all those who are in Christ. But all of this... All of these blessings leave us with two questions that we need to ask. The first of them is why? (laughs) Why would God bless us? Why is he doing this? The second, what do we do about it? So two questions, why? What do we do about it? Firstly, why? Why does God bless us? Why would God choose to do any of this? Why would he go to such great lengths, pay such a high cost in order to adopt people into his family who don't deserve to be in his family? Well, the answer is because that's what God likes to do. Seriously, that's the answer that Paul gives us. Take a look at verse 5 says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. God does what pleases him. He's not bound by anything. There's no one telling him what he must do. There's no one to control God. God is completely free. He does what he likes. And what he likes to do is bless his people with every spiritual blessing. You see, we have an extravagant God who likes to lavish his grace on his people. He just likes giving you good things. It puts a smile on God's face to be generous to you. He takes his creatures, wayward though we are, and adopts them because he wants to. He gives us forgiveness because he wants to. And see, this passage helps us see that God blessing us is not so much about us. It's about God. As in, God doesn't bless us because we're so wonderful. God blesses us because he is so wonderful. He blesses us so that he might be glorified. It's not about us. It's about him. That we might make a big deal of him. That we might praise him that we might worship him and so this leads right into our second question what do we do about it how do we respond to a passage like this that tells us about all the ways that god has blessed us how do we respond to receiving every spiritual blessing in christ well the answer is simple we do what paul does in these verses we praise god We don't deserve his blessing. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We can't work off our debt. God has given us something beyond our wildest imaginations. He has lavished his grace on us freely. And all we can do is praise him. Just like Paul does in verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, that we might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Do you see a pattern there? All of this God's goodness to you is all that we might praise him we're going to praise god praise him praise him as we sing his blessings in church praise him in prayer as you tell him directly how wonderful he is and how gracious he is tell god about all the amazing ways that you've experienced his blessings we're going to praise him as we tell each other about the things that God has done for us. We're going to praise him as we declare to our world the amazing things that arouse in Christ Jesus. You don't need to do something. You don't need to pay God back. You can't pay God back. Let's praise God. We are recipients of something amazing. Let's rejoice in that. I'm going to pray now and praise God. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we are overwhelmed at your goodness to us. As we reflect on these words and see the numerous ways in which you have blessed us with things that we don't deserve, that we can't earn, things that you had no need to give us, But out of your goodness and the overflow of your love, you chose to bless us. And for that, Lord, we praise you. You are wonderful. You are amazing. You are gracious and generous and kind. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to know and experience your generosity shown to us most clearly. In your plan to rescue us from sin. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, as we go about our weeks this week, that we would praise you through everything that we do. May our whole lives be an offering to you of worship. May everything we do be changed because we know how graciously and generously. You have provided for everything that we need and more. Lord, may we praise you today and tomorrow and every day that you give us. May we live for the praise of your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.